0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS in the now podcast channel. A lot to catch our listeners up on this week. So joining us as always, glad to welcome back on this Veterans Day, Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy. Shane, it's always great to speak with you here on the podcast. And I'm glad that the timing works out that we're speaking today here on Veterans Day, as I know you do a lot of great work with the Veterans network at ubs so thank you very much for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation
1: well thank you again for having me dan i appreciate the time and and yeah you know it's uh i hope everyone takes a moment today uh on Veterans day to you know thank a veteran and, and think about all the sacrifices they've made for us but also you're right you know at ubs here we have a veterans network and i think it's a great opportunity for not only um those who have served um to join and, you know, um, think of help with our veterans community, but those who want to support our veterans uh, who work at the firm should also join. Uh, it's a great opportunity to learn about, you know, um, uh, how this dedicated network and the range of programs that they're striving to make UBS uh, the preeminent firm within the financial services community for uh, our veterans community. So uh, please take a look at that if you have a moment.
0: Well, thank you, Shane, for spotlighting that, the great work that you and the Veterans Network uh, perform at UBS, and clients listening in, if you would like to learn more about the Veterans Network here at UBS, be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor. Uh, Though it was a busy week, Shane, I know this past Tuesday for Election Day, Americans went to the polls, and while the stakes this year might not be as high as, let's say, the year ahead I am curious from your vantage point to hear about some takeaways from the results we witnessed. Anything telling, suggestive from the results about what decision 2024 might have in store?
1: Yeah, this was an interesting week uh, for for the politics side of the House, we'll say. You know, um, it started out with a lot of Democratic pessimism over President um, Biden's polling numbers showing that, you know, former President Trump uh, would probably beat him right now. But then Tuesday's elections came, and, you know, um, it looks like it was a solid win for Democrats overall. You know, they split the gubernatorial races in Kentucky, where they won, and they lost Mississippi. But then in Ohio, they passed um, uh, issue one, which was uh, a ballot initiative that enshrined abortion protections in the state's constitution. Um, and in Virginia, Democrats, you know, uh, took control of both uh, houses of the state legislative chamber. Um, so it was a good day. And and the takeaways is that abortion policy was clearly a a driving factor in most of the success. And you'll now see Democrat strategists, you know, uh, try to, uh, strategize and think about how they mimic this success across the country in 2024. However, there is a flip side of the coin, you know, it's not all good news for Democrats. Um, while they won the races, you know, they won with fewer votes than they received in 2019 when when uh, Trump was on um uh, the uh, the the president and kind of a little bit higher profile so you know voter turnout um was down and you know vote, will voter turnout uh, be as important and high if it's Biden and Trump rematch next year um as uh, we assume they're the candidates, but that's not a hundred percent at this point. And so they have, Democrats have this question of, you know, what's going to happen next year? You know, they have some enthusiasm right now on their side, but will in, uh, the enthusiasm for Trump, uh, drive up Republican turnout or will the enthusiasm uh, against Trump drive out Democrat turnout? Or will there be some low enthusiasm for, that plagues Biden that hurts Democrats? So um, a lot to contemplate here. But if you're a Democrat, you're probably focusing on, you know, the good news part, um, which was Tuesday's
0: election. Absolutely. Some interesting takeaways as we look ahead to Election Day next year. It's interesting in particular to hear about the voter turnout, what those numbers look like. Just along these lines, Shane, I know we've heard this week about some notable congressional retirement announcements coming up, including from a Democrat Senator of West Virginia, Joe matchin I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Senator Matchin as he's made a lot of headlines over the past few years, though uh, this took some by surprise, among others. So what are your thoughts on these announcements and uh, the implications as we look ahead to next year?
1: Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. And this is something in general that we anticipated and wrote about in the Washington Weekly last week, which is that, you know, this is a period often you see a number of retirements uh, happen um generally in an election cycle, you know you see some forty uh, members either decide to retire and go home or run for other office, and you know we're we're probably on pace for that, but we we think it may be a little bit higher this cycle as you see uh people you know frustrated um, with the gridlock in Congress and the inability to govern but um to to your point, uh Senator Manchin yesterday announced that he was not gonna run for re reelection, and there were actually three others who, as well uh announced they wouldn't run for re reelection. These are three House members, so you know um all very important and noteworthy, but you know um Senator Manchin's the highest profile you know, I think his retirement pretty much gives West Virginia um a lock to Republicans to pick up a Senate seat. Um, so, you know, the, the, the landscape of the Senate election next year is actually really tough for Democrats, you know, even if they have this momentum uh, on their side that we just talked about, um, you know, it's an uphill battle because of the map, you know, and, um, the Democrats are defending roughly 20 seats while Republicans are defending or roughly 10. And if you look at those, uh, 20, that Democrats are, Defending. There are several in play, you know, West Virginia, which is now probably going to be Republican, but then you have, um, Ohio and Montana, which are going to be probably the now the two most followed races. um, um after that, you have some, some races that, uh, Democrats are leading in, but could become, um, you know, contentious races, uh, like Wisconsin. Nevada, and Michigan, and Pennsylvania. On the flip side, Republicans really only are defending, you know, one or two states like Florida and Texas, and even those will be um, possible for Democrats to win, but really hard-stretched. You know, things would really need to shift um, in Democrats' uh, favor uh, to for them to pick up those races. So, you know, when you factor in Senator Manchin's retirement and start thinking about some more retirements that are uh, coming up in the next few weeks, you know, it's going to make for a a real um, fascinating and, um, you know, um, big-time election, as we expected, uh, would be the case anyways for next year.
0: Yeah, a lot of implications here to the potential makeup of Congress, so we will indeed see how this all takes shape. I do want to stick with Congress because I know coming up next week, Shane, on November 17th, hard to believe, but we're quickly approaching yet another deadline to avoid a shutdown of the U.S. government just days away at this point. It never seems to be a clean path forward. Uh, I know there seems to be some deadlock in Congress at the moment, and our listeners, of course, recall the outcome of a couple of months ago, which did cost former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy his job. Though, what are your expectations for next week, how this all might unfold, and uh, what's at stake at this point?
1: That's right, Dan. I think you framed it correctly. This is Groundhog Day in uh, D.C., where D.C. is back at the um, government funding table um, with a deadline, you know, staring us in the face. And if there isn't action, you know, we could be faced with the government shutdown. I do think, right now, um, because uh, new Speaker Johnson has a little bit of leeway, I think. You know, this won't lead to a government shutdown, but I, uh, you can't rule that out with the way things are going right now. Um, you know, uh, Speaker Johnson tried to come up with an approach uh that would um, kind of stagger some of this uh, spending stuff. But I think that's going to fall short. And the most likely scenario is we see, you know, late next week, the House and Senate approve government funding um, through January 15th to buy more time to finish off these government funding bills. Remember there are 12 separate bills that fund the entire government. The house has actually passed, uh, seven of these bills. They tried to pass two additional, uh, bills this week. Um, that would have brought them to nine, but they actually fell short on both and, and didn't have the final uh, passage vote on either because Republicans realized, uh, they had insufficient support. And so, um, you know, uh, if they get this deal in place for um government funding till january fifteenth, they'll keep trying. I think, you know, um House Republicans will keep trying to pass these uh twelve bills so that they can try and force the uh Senate's hand. And the Senate has passed three of the twelve uh bills at this point. So, you know, a lot more negotiation going on, but I think what's clear is that for a, you know, real solution at the end of the day, it's going to be bipartisan and there'll have to be some concessions on both sides made, you know, what do Republicans in the House really want? They want to try and avoid that big one uh omnibus bill that encompasses all 12 uh, government funding bills. They want to try and do bills individually so that when they do more individually in their mind, they more closely scrutinize government spending and potentially reduce government spending. Uh, the Senate would would like to try and probably do a package of a few at a time. Um, and remember, since the Senate bill needs to be bipartisan, you know, that doesn't mean there won't be scrutiny, but I think the, their bills would increase spending uh, when compared to uh, House bills that are looking to cut spending. So, um You know, I think, uh, like I said, it's Groundhog Day, but, and we may have another Groundhog Day, you know, uh, later this year or early next year.
0: Well, very helpful, Shane, to hear about where we stand today and how this might unfold. I do want to pivot a bit, talk about geopolitics. Of course, we have been keeping our listeners updated on the Israel-Hamas war. At this point, it's going on a month. Uh, Last week, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken did visit the region to support of Israel. He also met with regional partners This, in an effort to reduce the prospects of the conflict Uh, spreading across the region. We did speak a bit about that on last week's podcast. So to follow up, any notable takeaways from those talks, meetings involving Secretary of State Blinken?
1: Yeah, no. And this is uh, obviously a very important uh, role for, I think, the U.S. to play um, in this conflict, which is to be kind of an arbiter with Um, many of the countries of the region that, you know, we have strong relationships with or even mild relationships with to try and, um, uh, camp down, uh, the, this, this war in the sense of not letting it grow beyond where it is now. We, you know, one of the worst case scenarios is that this grows, uh, to a more regional and, uh, uh, war, um. And, you know, Secretary Blinken has been very active on this front. Uh, you're right. You know, he's met with, uh, uh, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, um, and, you know, is trying to reiterate to, uh, President Abbas, you know, all the things that, that the U.S. is doing to try and work with Israel to ensure the safety of civilians, to, uh, work to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza um and to try and get essential services restored. Um you know, at the same time, uh Secretary Blinken, you know, w- w- was talking to other um countries like Jordan and Egypt and and um Qatar. And Qatar I think will be very instrumental um in uh what other whatever uh pathway forward is forged because of you know um their Ability to talk to Hamas's leadership, many of whom are in Qatar, but also to try and be kind of that neutral third party and help negotiate, you know, possibly the release of hostages um, and how this uh, eventually is settled. You know, and I think that was started to be covered with uh, Secretary Blinken and uh, Palestinian leader Abbas was okay. What does Gaza look like after this conflict? You know, um, how do uh how does the U.S. and Israel work together with uh the Palestinian leadership to, you know, ensure that um, whoever takes over in Gaza afterwards is not Hamas 2.0, but is, you know, a partner in peace eventually. So, you know, um, these are important conversations. Of course, they do not Immediately yield results that we'd like to see, but uh this is uh a very important part of us uh to keep an eye on so that um uh we have an idea of how this all ends and hopefully it ends in peace obviously.
0: Absolutely, and encouraging to hear that those types of conversations are happening at the moment and will, of course, keep our listeners updated on this story and these un- unfortunate developments, though. Shane, I do want to thank you, as always, for dropping by again just to acknowledge our veterans and uh, thank you again for you and the work done by the UBS Veterans Network to support our veterans. Appreciate that. And I will encourage, again, our listeners, our clients in particular of UBS to contact your UBS financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the work done by the UBS Veterans Network here at the firm, though. Shane, thank you again for dropping by this week, and we do look forward to picking back up with our conversation in the week ahead.
1: Thank you, Dan. I uh, hope you have a great weekend, and I look forward to talking with you soon.
0: Likewise. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. I do want to point out to our listeners, our clients of UBS, that you can now locate the latest Washington Weekly publication available up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.